hotfix. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Filmmakers Podcast. We're so close to 200. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to mess it up. <laughs> in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I am a writer, director and producer. And I'm Ian Sharp. Good to be here again. I am an actor, producer and for my sins, a financier. Woohoo! Um, today we are talking with fantastic producer Piers Tempest. Now, Piers uh, recently has made the feature films The Wife, which was Oscar nominated, Churchill, starring Brian Cox, Robot Overlords, which is one of my favourites, uh, Military Wives, recently starring Kristen Scott Thomas and Sharon Horgan, and of course, Love Wedding Repeat, which has been a number one smash on Netflix over this lockdown. We had a brilliant chat with Piers, didn't we, Ian? Yeah, he was such a lovely guy and just gave so many kind of golden nuggets of information. So this is going to be a really good episode. Yeah, and some of those include uh, him talking about what it's like um, working on a COVID safety feature film, which he's doing right now. He's prepping for one, which he's going to shoot in four weeks. Mm. Um, and he also talks about how he likes to develop projects from the ground up. Yep, and definitely his attitudes to kind of towards this, the industry in general, you know, having a good sense of humor, uh, the perseverance as well, you know, as we know, producing can be quite a, you know, a, a tough business and can be quite lonely. So definitely having a good sense of humor. He talks about how he likes to make his movies, the whole process behind that, how he likes to work with the same crew and talent and how important it is to select the right team when you're producing a movie. Absolutely. And what I found really interesting was he has a budget level that he, he likes to tend to operate in and he doesn't try and deviate from that. And I think that's very good and very responsible. And it gives the film the best possible chance of getting made and, you know, returning its investment. So that was really interesting. So you've got all that to look forward to, you lovely, lovely, lucky listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Honestly, uh, I can't appreciate your time enough. Ian Sharp, thank you so much for co-hosting today. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, mate. Uh, thank you so much. Like every time I'm on this, I always learn a ton. So uh, I'm always grateful to be here. But obviously you're a producer yourself in your own right, Sharpie. So it's yeah. amazing you learn from these. But obviously you produce Kickoff, uh, Pleasure yep. Island, Undergods, Westwood, uh, and The Marker recently. Mm. And you're in post-production on The Visitor as well, right? Yeah, no, exactly. So hopefully in the next few uh, weeks, we should have a, a fully completed movie. Holy moly. What you mean yeah. complete is in sound, mix, score, grade? All being well, everything. So, you know, it should be ready for market. This one was financed up front. So uh, by the BBC, Oz and Film London. And the BFI, I think, put a bit of money in there as well. So. Do you know what? You might be the first person I've spoken to for a long time who's had any money from the BFI. So congratulations. It's not easy. It's not easy. You have to jump through a lot of hoops and you have to go around the houses. But it, do you know what? It's a great time for you to be releasing a movie, right? I mean, to be now saying, hey, we've got a finished movie. Exactly. You know, you think right now you're in a good position, you know, selling a, uh, you know, a product, if you want to call it that. So, uh, yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. Let's see how the film responds. I can't wait to hear more. Obviously, Ian's uh, one of our regular co-hosts, so you will find out about his journey. Ian also starred in Arthur and Merlin, which I directed, which is available now in the UK and will be available in the US in December, uh, if you like it. The Dare is also out in the USA and Canada, and Switching It Round is out in the UK in October. And that's my film, my debut movie. Uh, that was a little plug. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 Shall we get to this week's episode with the fantastic Piers Tempest? Yeah, I think so, mate. I think we're ready. Are we ready? Are we? 
I hope so. I think so. <laughs> I know so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. This is a mine and Ian's chat with fantastic Piers Tempest. Enjoy. My yep. sister's yeah. getting married. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Oh, wow, you look gorgeous. Hello, oh, how are you? I didn't know you had a new boyfriend. I'm so glad you've moved on from that last guy. What was his name, Chaz? No, I'm Chaz. Oh, my God. Have you gone out with two Chazes in a row? You remember Dina, my American friend that you met in Rome? Yeah. She's here. What? Jack. Hey, I used to ask about you all the time. I used to ask about you, too. Oh, God. Got a bit of a problem. Mark Fisher. He's in love with me and he's threatening to go full on psycho and ruin my wedding. This is the sleep medicine that I've been taking. It would knock him out for hours. Really? Just put a couple of drops of that in his champagne glass. There has to be another way. There is no other there way. There is. There, is there has to be. Please. There, is there has to be. Way. Hayley! Hey! <laughs> Your sister is an angel, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Life all comes down to chance. Did you get kidnapped? Yes. I'd kidnap you. Oh. His wedding is over! <laughs> What are you doing? Just taking a really strong sedative. Just put your fingers down my throat. What? I can't do it myself. Oh! Oh! I just wanted to ch check to see if you guys were good. You you good? You good? <sighs> Piers, thank you so much for joining us. It's a great, very great pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you. Now, for those who don't know, um, I'm just going to list a few of Piers' credits here. And his credit list goes on a long way. Um, so, he started assisting Runner on Plunkett McLean. Um, Little Wing Films did Nine Dead Gay Guys and then went on to make Two Men Went to War. He made Pure with Kira Knightley, American Cousins, and moving on to Grabbers, which I love, uh, John Wright, Robot Overlords, uh, The Journey, Churchill, The Wife, Driven, Ordinary Love um, with Leslie Manville and Liam Neeson, Military Wise with Kristen Scott Thomas and Sharon Horgan recently, and uh, the Just released Love Wedding Repeat on Netflix with Sam Claffling and Eleanor Tomlinson. Piers Tempest, who runs Tempo Productions, welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. What a list. It's quite I an mean, e wow. eclectic list, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that on purpose? Did you think, oh, well, hey, I'm going to do eclectic mix of movies? Or were you like, no, no, just what comes up? Yeah, I think it's really what, what comes up. I mean, it's really, you know, it's really things that, that, Get, we get really interested in. I mean, I think Churchill, The Journey, Driven, mm. fascinated. I mean, John DeLorean's story. When I heard that, I was like, I've got, got to make this movie. Totally. And so we're very much, it's very much, um, there isn't, to be fair, much of a strategy other than trying to find stories which really resonate and can travel internationally and have got something bigger than the script. You know, they've got something else for, for a hook for distributors to market, whether it's a true story or real life or a, just a mm. really, really strong concept. And it's a lot about working with directors who we like. So we're doing our third film with John Wright, we shot three films with Nick Ham, about to do four. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, you know, it's those, it's those sort of long-term creative relationships, which, um, so, you know, which, which we like as well. 
Yeah, and it's so important to have those, isn't it? So I thought this would be a really good chance for us all to just chat about producing movies, tips and tricks for filmmakers out there who are listening, who always listen. But uh, I think, Piers, it would be a treat for them to listen to you with your extended list. Love Wedding with Preet came out, obviously, during this whole lockdown situation. And, you know, the fact it got to number one, right, in the, the Netflix ranking. It was Pretty much globally, yeah. Globally. I mean, wow, what a what a wonderful thing. Did, did you always know that Netflix was going to be your route with that? Or did you well, want to do cinema at one well, point? Well, we did. Well, actually, it's a bit of a mixed. Um, well, just to, just to go back a bit, we had, weirdly, we had two films. We had Military Wives coming out mm-hmm. in cinemas. So that did, just before lockdown came, we had two weeks. And it did, it was doing really well theatrically. So it did, I think it was two and a half million quid in the first two weeks or three weeks um which is a so it's on track to be a really really successful film and then all the cinema yeah. shots so we're all you know really gutted on that so it's a real chance of a mm-hmm. chance of a, of a and it's a great movie military wise and it's, it's, meant, it's meant to be enjoyed in a cinema with you know and with all the audience emoting together and it, you know it's it's and then we had, and then just about a month later, obviously, Love Wedding Repeat came out, which obviously benefited from everyone being um, stuck in their houses. So we had fantastic numbers on on uh, on Netflix, which was which yeah. was great. We start we started the movie without Netflix, and they came in and acquired it about three weeks before we started shooting uh, quite late on in the day once we'd cast it and were and were in late pre-production. Well, which, which actually turned out really well for you, right? I mean, now you're like, well, thank the world that that actually happened because look at the numbers, look at COVID. Did, does, and does it make a difference with Netflix? Because I don't know, actually, if you, because it might be a buyout or it might not be, but if they do that, then does it make a difference if it's at number one for so long for them? No. Does it no, I mean, I don't. Does no more money comes back to you guys, no. right, in a sense? No, I didn't think so. A lot of my films have been on platform, on, on the platform, mm. but in terms of an acquisition. An actual original. Yeah, yes. no, no, yeah. I, I'm not, so I'm not sure how other deals are structured, but for us, I think it's a license for a flat fee for a number of years. And, and yeah. um, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's, well, there isn't any uptick on the amount of numbers that one does. But again, you know, obviously as a producer, you want as many people to watch the movie as possible. Of course you do. And yeah. so, it worked, yeah, it worked, it worked very well. But I've got to say, we can't divulge numbers, but I was absolutely staggered at the amount of, uh, of, the, of the numbers that um, of our, when we had our 30-day review. So it's, um, it's incredible. And congratulations. Thanks. It's great fun. It's fun. It's been a good bit of escapism, basically. Exactly. And I think we needed that from all the, you know, people were watching movies about infections and stuff. I was like, why are you watching movies like that when something like Love Wedding repeats on? You know, you can watch that and get lost in it and just have a great time and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what everyone wanted. So I'm, I'm not surprised it did well. It's great. I suppose let's jump into the beginning, really. Why? Why be a filmmaker? How did you get that first job as a runner back in the day, a production assistant, as we call them now? Um, how did it work for you? I've always been interested in, in, in film. And at school, I remember there were three of us in the film club. All three of us are still in the industry. So Alex Bronner is a, uh, an, a, an agent at United Talent in America. And Tom Waller mm. is a producer in Thailand. He kind of, you know, produces all studio movies in Thailand. <laughs> so it's quite, it's quite interesting. I love that. 
That's so That's cool because I was in the chess club and I don't think any of us are still playing chess. What? So there is that. <laughs> yeah. After university, then a lot of my friends were sort of going off to work as management consultants and, and just and doctors and sensible jobs. So I, I went to get work totally. for working title films to go and make tea for about 50 pounds a week and, uh, mm. start as, and started as a runner. And did you just knock on the door type thing? Because a lot of people would be going, well, I'll happily do that. You know, was it, yeah, uh, did you have yeah, a way in? Yeah, no, no, I did. At that time it was, there was a, um, it was pretty much, yeah, there's no, I didn't have any sort of family connections or anything like that. It was, it was literally. Amazing. Uh, just you going, hiya, can I make tea for yeah, you? Yeah, a couple All of right. weeks for, for free. And I think. Yeah. I'm from Yorkshire. I do it well. From Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So you on Plunkett and McLean as a runner. Did they sort of push you into that? It was, was that- no, it wasn't actually first Weirdly, so I was working in my office at Working Title for about eight months, and then I went to go and work on one of their productions called Thunderbirds, which was when Peter Hewitt was going to direct it. Peter Hewitt yeah. did The Borrowers and films like that. Then the film, it says full pre-production, and then two weeks before photography, it got closed down, the production, okay. because I think it was because Universal... No, Polygram was being sold to Seagram or something like that. It's a big corporate sort of decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then, so what all the production team that were on went, then went to over to Plunkett and McLean, who were doing a four-week reshoot. So we went then sort of went straight on to that at Pinewood. I see. So okay. Yeah. So it's quite, no, so it's really interesting. It's I mean, it's just really interesting to see um, how films at that level work. I never forgot the director of photography um, turning up in a purple Rolls Royce wearing a shell suit. That's different level. Different wow. level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Has he has, did, has he gone on to other Rolls Royces and shell suits? I don't, know. Or I don't he... know. He's, he's a very. I mean, I don't know. He does a lot of. He does a lot of Ridley Scott films. So yeah, presumably. Right. <laughs> so, wow. John Matheson, right? So, yeah. yeah, John Matheson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gladiator and Logan. Yeah, he's doing all right. Yeah. He's fine. He can wow. buy whatever shell suits he wants. <laughs> yeah. So Plunkett McLean. Then you did another one straight away as well, didn't you? While you were there, sort of um, quills, right? Well, yeah. So that was a, that was a, a fantastic experience. So on that. Um, um, I went to go and was Philip Kaufman's assistant, director's assistant, who mm. was, he's, fant- he's a fantastic San Franciscan director. He's sort of part of old George Lucas set. And he directed a movie called The Right Stuff, which was pretty iconic in, in, yeah. um, in the States. And he was, he was good. Because, you know, if you're a director's assistant, you really oh, yeah. sit in everything. So it's, that was just great having access to seeing the inner workings of how film comes together from a director's point of view. And mm. also because it was, again, as a Fox Searchlight film, because it was a pretty, you know, budgets weren't that, were quite tight for that type of movie. Um, I was driving him as well. So got to know him really well you know, and his family. What a great way in. Well, how wonderful. At that point, did you know you wanted to produce because you produced a short as well? Yeah, I, I always point. thought I'd really always wanted to, to, to produce really because I just like the way it uses both sides of the brain. It's part creative, it's part, it's part, mm. part business. And I just quite, I mm. like really like the way it's project based. So you're kind of starting something and then finishing it and then starting something else. 
And yes. I just thought, I, I, so I've kind of it really, um, I don't know why, but it just really attracted me as something to do. And it's, um, and it's kind of quite, you know, quite like behind the scenes rather than sort of in front of the, in front of the scenes. And I think I'm not direct mm-hmm. to why, I think to be a great director, you've got to have quite a personality type um, and have, and which I'm sort of, no, I'm not basically. So I think so sort of producing sure, yeah. kind of really, sort of you know grabbed me it's funny how it finds you isn't it it's very satisfying because I, I don't know you don't really tend to grow up and go right, i want to be a producer one day it's either you want to be an actor or a director or whatever but somehow it seems to find you and then you're right if it uses both sides of the brain which it does it can become very addictive and empowering you know and just uh, really uh, creatively satisfying at the same time so it is yeah it is and it's got this weird thing where i don't feel really creatively satisfied unless it's been incredibly difficult <laughs> which actually most films yeah. are so it's okay if it's too yeah. easy i come out of there thinking oh god actually you have to marry both sides don't you and i think the best producers do that like you do get particularly maybe some inexperienced producers starting out it is a case of oh well i don't do finance or i don't do the numbers or i don't do that and it's like no you it's kind of both sides right yeah and the best producers and do both I sides. think absolutely. I think one thing which is critical for good producing skills is to really understand every element of a business, whereas distribution, yeah. international sales, production, and also I think you've got to, you know, I think I think just starting off as a runner and just going from a bottom up, so you understand, you know, you can really see mm. things from the camera trainee's perspective or the or yeah. the. You know the third AD's perspective, or you know, what I mean, it's just getting that overall understanding. You have to be an mm. expert in everything, but just having that overall mm. understanding of what makes a set definitely tick, uh, what's yeah. gonna, you know, what's gonna get the best creative outcome and how to structure things. Yeah. So at least coming at decision making with a bit of knowledge yeah. is really. Oh. Yeah. Yep. I think that's def- definitely helped me from my kind of acting uh, background is being able to, as a producer with my business hat on, is being able to communicate with creatives, directors, writers, or whatever, and, and trying to get my the kind of fiscal uh, responsibility across or whatever, but being able to understand where they're mm. coming from. I think it's been a massive asset to me as a producer. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I agree. Sure. A lot of people don't know what a producer does. You know, I've had this a few times. I think a serial killer's guide to life came out. What was it earlier this year? And my sister watched it. She went, Oh, it was great. What did you do? And I said, I was, I produced it. And she went, so what, what did you do? <laughs> okay. I got to try and explain what you do. And it was, and it's actually very true. A lot of people don't know what a producer does and pretty much you do everything, nuts and bolts, organizing it, setting it up, shoots, working with cast, setting up call sheets, making sure you go through everything, um, contracts. You can do the list goes on. And, and you mentioned that you like to be hands-on peers. You said you prefer that side of it. Does that mean you do all those things or do you delegate well as well? I'm a definition of a producer. I always say yes. uh, it's a thankless task where, you know, if a film is a great success, the director gets all the kudos. And if it's a disaster, then the uh, producer gets all the blame, basically. You absolutely have that a little bit of a sadomasochistic uh, streak, mm. I think, as a as part of a <laughs> psyche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no glory in it. No, there's no, no glory no, in it no, at all. No, no. You're just doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, then you you kind of moved on to you produced. You sort of stepped out of that work and that you produced on your own with Eleven Fifty Nine, and then you became head of development. I did this bonkers short film, which in retrospect is insane. Where we shot um, 
London empty, basically. Um, Amazing. Called, which actually, looking back, I mean, it's credit on 35 mil. It's called Subterfuge. Subterfuge, and right? It's on, okay, our, yeah, good, it's on our, our website, but it's just nuts, the whole movie. And it's kind of very experimental. And it did, you know, it did. Um, it was good. It was very good practice. But I didn't really know what I was doing. And um, it was, right. um, it was, so it's a, it was, it was a good kind of baptism into sort of insanity. And it was, it was a very, totally. very but did, yeah, the film, the film actually did very well because we ended up, went to Sky and we sold it to a company called the Image Bank in New York who okay. um, used bits of it. So it's quite visually striking as com- for commercials. So they basically chopped it up and oh, wow. licensed, yes. licensed the footage, which really helped on the... On That's the, great. The, so you made some money. I wouldn't say we made money on it, but we didn't lose okay sort of too, too much that was a good that was a good thing because that's the problem with shorts is they're brilliant and a great calling card and really useful but it's very hard to make money back on yeah shorts. almost impossible yeah unless you go to yeah. qb which i haven't done but that isn't that, that, yes um, there's quite a few platforms will do it there's quite a few others um who uh, where you can sell your shorts and we've done it actually and we've sold a couple of hours that have gone on to do really well but most of the time unless they've got names in or they're really good or they won awards you know don't do anything it's it's there just as a calling card and move on yeah that's what i think people spend so much money and time on shorts yeah. and my thing is well you could actually spend that time and money making a feature which you can then actually sell you mentioned there that you felt that you didn't really know what you're doing there when you first started out looking back now what do you think you did wrong or what do you think you could have been better at as a producer i'm really proud of the movie because it had it had visual effects in it you know, this was 20, you know, 20 years ago. And it was, it was, I think I quite like the way we just, I mean, I quite like biting off sort of more that we can choose sometimes like on robot overlords yeah. and kind of, you know, mm. you know what I mean? So I quite, I'm never going to apologize for ambition basically. That short film was, um, mm. yeah, I have to think about that because a million percent, we would have done things very, very different. But I think for just in, if you look at it in terms of gaining producerial experience very quickly, that was, mm-hmm. then it did absolutely tick the box. And sometimes it's good to just jump into the fire, right, as a producer and go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, well, that needs moving from there to there. Where's the toilets going to go? Where's, who's going to get paid from this? Where's catering going to go? You just throw yourself into it and you're going, oh, all right, okay, well, that's producing then. You're just kind of organizing a, a very shit wedding. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when was it, Piers, when you thought, you know what, when you were figuring it out, how long into your career, how many films did you have under your belt before you thought, you know what, I think I'm getting it now. Probably about 11 films in, 11 feature films in. It takes a long time. This really, our movies, very, you know, they've got to have a hook. They've got to sell every territory in the world. They've got to launch an A-list festival and they've got to attract talent. And we've got to make them at a, at a price point which studios can't make them at. And mm-hmm. they've got to have the ability to play theatrically. Basically, there are sort of little nuggets about how we how we select movies, basically. And I think just being really rigorous on that. And I think the more you know, it's 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 more knowing how to just how to structure them most effectively. How to you know just kind of you know if someone's saying to you, I can't on, on every movie, people will say it can't be done. You can't do this. You can't do that. 
and knowing, having the confidence to think, actually, I can do that and I can do it like this, actually, and I'm going to. And also, I can't, you know, I'm really bad at, I only get fired up to make a film if someone tells me I can't do it or enough people pass. Yeah, and it's yeah. actually like that. Gives you, you know, you've got to have that energy to go in and, you know, fight the fight for the director. Because it, totally, because it is hard. I mean, it's it's literally like walking into that fire. It's a really tough job. It's really tough. It's not job. easy. It's a really tough job. Yeah. But it's very, yeah. it's very rewarding. I think a lot of it is is selecting the people you are building around the movie and going in with, mm. whether it's the right finance partners, the right distribution partners, the right line producer and you know it's, it's getting you know it's, it's really mm. if you invest in the in the people that you're on with the journey then whatever hits you you'll be able to find a, a sort of a solution for and and i think that's exactly right because you have worked with the same people quite a lot of the time so therefore you know it works yeah you've got that rhythm and you've been through times when it doesn't work so when it does work you kind of stick with that team because you go well why would i go somewhere else that might not work or go back to something that didn't work because you've got to try and make your life a little bit easier yeah. you know because uh, it's it's really always hard. a crisis basically there's no there's, it's not possible to make an independent film glenn close said to me the definition of an independent film is one that almost didn't get made which actually i think is quite, yeah, it's, actually yeah. quite, it's actually quite correct about 10 times it didn't get made as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, About 10 times it fell down, money fell out, things. I mean, that. And, and for you then, just to, I will come back to, you, to your amazing credit list as well. There was, there was loads, by the way, listeners, what I didn't mention that Piers has done. Uh, yeah, we'll sure we'll come on to those. Do you look for, obviously you get the project first, you find the script. Is it then that you start to look for cast at that point, knowing that the cast will help sell the movie? Potentially your director's already on board. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of, we... As a company, we do we have like we do two types of movie. Basically, we do one which we one type which we develop films ourselves from scratch from an idea, basically, and then that's mm. literally from the ground up. So that's films like Love Wedding Repeat and um, uh, you know Driven, um, the film we're about to do now, um, Oyster Farmer like minds robot overlords you know it's basically ones where we actually commission a script build it and then yeah mm -hmm. then we are casting and we are casting from the ground up and packaging it and yeah we have to it's normally script director lead bits of talent finance that's literally, that's literally the sequence um there's always exceptions basically like the film we're doing now we actually financed it first and got a studio to to come in and then cast it but normally it's it's the other way around so with with the, those projects that you mentioned how did you develop finance them is that something that your company does in-house or do you go elsewhere first preferably elsewhere so on the journey and on driven for example northern island screen put development funds in a film called hotel teresa we're doing about castro and malcolm x ingenious put development funding into that so it depends. Well, we will put a will i mean love wedding repeat we did ourselves it, de it depends right oh normally normally one does try i mean we it's thing with development it's with very small company and it just takes so much time developing a script so we try and only take on very few projects that we are almost certain we can get off the ground mm. and the other type of films that we do like um 
military wives, for example, is when they've been developed by another by another company, in that case, 42, and we came on to um, help finance and physically deliver it, um, which, is good, which, is, which, is, which is good. But I think working, you know, so I mean, I, I love working in partnership with, it's quite, you know, with, with companies. And again, it expands your own network and also, of you know helps help spread the pressure a bit yeah, yeah. do you take it in turns to see who's like the, the lead uh, producer on set if you like is it kind of a i'm going to lead this no. one or no no because i mean on that one i would i mean they the whole point was i mean i was so i was a, a producer on sets for that movie yeah. so it just depends it just depends on what the i mean normally i think you have to, if you do do a co-bench you've got to really define the responsibilities about who's doing what yes um but it's sort of, but they are, it's just, and a lot of it is timing. You know, I mean, you can probably do, we can do three films a year um, capacity-wise. And it's really, it's just, it's just seeing what comes up. But I mean, if there's a, pro, if there's a project which suddenly, one, if you get offered and it's a, it's a fantastic script and it comes with an actor mm. attached to them and we think we can, we can do it. And I mean, often that happens quite a lot, actually, where someone's got a, great project great scripts and it's god oh, can't make it work for 20 million dollars you know mm-hmm. and it's like well if you do it like this maybe there's a way to do it for eight and then that suddenly unlocks it and it becomes a viable viable sort of project yeah you manage to get that perfect balance of you're, you're a lean company but you're a successful company like were you ever tempted to go right let's go bigger let's become the you know, company and you, like like the working title now or whatever, or you know, you got tens of staff and whatever. Were you ever tempted to go down that route, or were you thought no, lean, nimble, adaptable? No, I think I think I'm 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 definitely the lean and nimble. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I just think and also just sort of I mean the whole you know the whole COVID situation really it's like that you know suddenly a lot of companies if you've got a large overhead. Mm. You know, it's um it, you know yeah. it, becomes, it becomes tricky and i think i don't i think it's probably not that i do have a restaurant but i imagine it's a bit like having a restaurant which is really successful and then you then branch out into and buy another site sort of your initial offering and where you can fall down yeah and i think what for us given given that we only do two three films a year maximum is that actually when we take on a film, we can give it the attention and really focus on it and make sure that cost is drilled down as much as possible and make sure it's sold and really deliver for the financiers. And I think if, and I think increasing that capacity and if you're suddenly in a running a company as well, A, it's a different skill set, and B, you've got a massive overhead. It's just a different pathway, isn't it? Mm. And I think maybe maybe in 10 years, Absolutely, but at the moment, I'd much rather be hands on getting the movies done. And we all, you know, we never moved into TV. Really. We might be doing a TV show early next year. Okay. But again, big debate with my business partner was, oh, should we bring on a on a on a TV executive to? And then suddenly, you suddenly look at what the TV executives are earning. My observation it is so like cliquey in terms of all the commissioning editors have gone to you know know each other yes. and. They all then go and have sweetheart deals with production companies and showrunners that they've given the last four commissions to. You know what I mean, and if you're not absolutely in that, 
then it's 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 yeah. going to be it's difficult isn't it, it is and you're absolutely in the film world so you know with the hits you've had recently as well it's a you're kind of like well yeah we could but it might dilute so you mentioned that like say you so you'll find a script you'll find a, uh, the right project if you like get the director then you look for cast and money sometimes the other way around will you look to sell the movie at that point or, or of some pre-sales or you sometimes hold off and wait what's the best way to do this and obviously these are bigger budgets than maybe some of our listeners are used to but still it's the same principle isn't it pre-sales yeah so two two years ago the app i mean the normal model for every film we produce is to pre-sell probably 35 percent of it okay 35 40 percent so to you know to get some key films are valued based on sales estimates and that then tells you what budget you need to hit and then pre-selling some of the territories validates the numbers for the financiers. So it's really important to do that. However, so that is the general rule. Mm. The exception is now that there are a lot of multi-territory buyers who can come and take the world. And also it's probably um, more attractive to them to take the world is that you don't pre-sell um, but then you've got to work out how you're going to finance the film in the first place. So for example, on Love Wedding Repeat, uh, we had an Italian financier who was effectively taking the entire risk of the movie, which paid off because Netflix came and bought the world. But if they hadn't, uh, he, you know, he would have been very, it would have been very, his exposure would have been very execution dependent. I see. Okay. He hadn't offset any of the initial risk. So it was a risky move, but it paid off. But normally, for one of these films between five and ten million pounds, you, you do need to sell to you know to make sure a other distributors think like you that it has got it will sell in their territory, mm-hmm. and the numbers are are vaguely are vaguely correct. Okay, right. So would that be a combination then of some pre-sales? Potentially a tax credit, depending on where you're shooting, a bit of equity and a bit of gap. That's exactly yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, fewer parties are better, but yeah, that's that's definitely the model. Do you work with the same finances, or or do you just you, you shop it around? It really depends what the movie is, what the budget is. But yeah, I tend to. I mean, I've, I've the in terms of the last sort of five films, the finances were a good experience. So I always go back, which which helps. Yeah, it's what genre it is, what the budget is, if it's shooting in America or here or or wherever. Mm. But there aren't that you know there aren't that many. but probably only you know ten gap funders around, so it's not it's quite a small, small, small world. Yeah, but I mean, like you mentioned before on Love Wedding and Repeat, um, the fact that those numbers were so successful, you probably could go back to Netflix now and say, well, look, I want to make something else, you know, something similar-ish, and you know they go into their big algorithm or whatever, and then you never know, you could fully finance that movie another movie again right potentially yeah absolutely that that would be good um i mean i think it's interesting because the perception of you know from two three years ago was our uh, you know netflix was like a sort of you know a, a straight to video sort of situation it was, yeah absolutely the opposite basically mm. so they are they are, yeah, yeah. So well. they are they are believe me they want they you know they want theatrical talent-led movies 
for their for their um, for their audience, their, their subscribers. Totally. Well, they stick a picture of Glenn Close or whatever on the front of Netflix. We go, oh, I like Glenn Close. I'll click the link and watch it. Does stars make a difference to the film as well in terms of who's hot right now, who's doing well? Are they worth more in the market? Are you looking at that as well when you all the time? Right? Absolutely, all the time. Yeah, that's absolutely absolutely crucial to us yeah and to and then we can you know we can now phone up distributors in germany and say we're thinking about doing this and we've got so and so as the lead mm-hmm. does you know what do you think so we're totally we're always having that that those conversations but i mean a while ago everyone when the internet first started everyone was thinking the long tail you know it's going to be great for independent movies because the, you know, there's more people can find the movie. Mm. But I think the opposite has happened in terms of when there's a plethora of things to watch, viewers coalesce around the, the tent poles, basically, and the ones. It's like going to a restaurant with 100 dishes. Right. You'd actually rather go into and be told what to eat in the restaurant. It's true. You know I mean, rather it's than just, have to go through the stress. It's too many of, options. Know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. You pick yeah. for me. It's too many options. So, so, so ta- and, and one of the ways you pick is by talent. Mm. And, like, you know, you go, oh, I really like watching Leonardo DiCaprio movies. Sure. It's great. Or you recognize Sam Claflin mm-hmm. or you recognize yeah. Glenn. You know what I mean? So I think that that kind of so I think that the the power of talent is absolutely rising in a way. And it's the same talent. It's the same. It's the same group it's of a hundred actors. Yeah. Do you, Do you have any advice, Pierce? So I, I'm at that stage for a bit of context, like where I'm trying to make that step up now. For so I've made some, you know, an exec produce quite quite a few uh, independent movies uh, at a budget level, but I, I really want to step up that budget level and make more international projects. Um, but I'm I'm now going to you know the agents and trying to get that level of cast that has that significant value. But, you know, I get it. They look back at my CV and go, well, you know, this is a big step up or whatever. Do you have any advice to those producers, uh, particularly like myself, that are wanting to get access to that talent? Because, you know, you, you can spend months just waiting for a, 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 an actor to read the script or even for the agent to even send the script over. I would be very cognizant of the genre and of the material you are approaching the actor with and really do your research so it's basically the notion that if you're doing a genre film and you're trying to get a star in it on a low budget it's not never going to happen basically Mm -hmm. so but if it's a really meaty role about something you know that actor is interested in you know then you've got a chance and it's really not about the producer it's about the director and the material. Most actors will, if there's a role that they can see themselves in, that's about something that's meaningful. Because you can't, you know, you're not going to pay Jason Statham, we might do, but I don't, it's unlikely you're going to pay Jason Statham $15 million to do so you're independent. a reboot the movie because mm-hmm. that's what studios do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, but, but if, you, if you find like an amazing role that's a really interesting bit of subject matter or bit of history that you think, God, you know, that'll really flick someone's switch. That and I think that's very doable. You know, I think most will most most actors are not in it for you know, the fight for the money, really. They're they're in it for the art and that's why they've chosen that career path. So I think if something that interests them, that's probably what's gonna get, at least get them to read the script. And also the main thing is if it's a director who 
has got some track record. So if it's like a, if it's an unknown producer, unknown director, it's, and a low budget, it's quite a struggle. If it's a really interesting IP that they the agent can be hooked on within one sentence, yeah. and it's a director that is, you know, is not is, is has got some track record that's either it's got some, some you thing. know, well, you know, yeah. the short films won an Oscar or. You know, well, they've got they've done a really good episode of some high scale TV or a low budget feature. Then you know you've got you've got you know then you've got a shot. And also the other thing is, if you're saying to the actor, look, it's we'll make it two weeks and we'll shoot it in London, mm-hmm. your segment, rather than it's going to be sixteen weeks in Romania <laughs> for uh-huh. you know what I mean, fifty grand. And make it easy. Make it an easy an easy yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I think you part, you really touched on something uh, earlier on as well about partnering up those co-productions. So I know now for, for the films that we're, you know, I'm trying to make, you know, films anything between kind of the five and 15 range. And, you know, the, the first thing on my mind, once I get to, you know, the, the script is ready and, you know, we've maybe even got a director attached, some of them. I want to partner with experienced exec producers or experienced producers because I want to make more, I want to have a career making those levels of films, whereas I, I'm all for sharing. And I think mm. what, what I'm seeing now is maybe in a post-COVID time more than ever, you kind of have to share the load as well, I think. So that's a good bit of yeah, advice. It's, I think. It's yeah, I mean, producing is absolutely collaborating it's yeah. completely a collaboration and it's yeah. i think the best producers and which i've always try and emanate is if you just make every decision about mm. coming from what is best for the movie yeah. yeah basically then that actually makes it a lot easier to make that to yeah. make decisions You're right. and if you are and also i've seen so many sort of producers who you know the ego gets in the way or mm. kind of it's just you know it's not they're thinking yeah. about other yeah. stuff. Whereas if you just say, okay, actually, I'm going to, it is about what is best for be- making the best possible movie. Yeah. Then if, if everything comes from that, then you, mm. you know, then, it, then it kind of, the whole, it just becomes more, you can, you can really yeah. see what the best decisions are. It's so true. Like you'd be, you'd be amazed on, on how, how often that is though, how ego just, totally gets in the way um i i also uh, i have a finance company as well and god the amount of conversations that we had where if, if they just maybe partnered with maybe a bit more of an experienced producer or brought on an ep um the film would would have got made uh, mm-hmm. but they just sometimes they just can't get out of their own way uh, so i hope our listeners will will, will take on board that advice yeah it's great advice and talking of budgets there you mentioned between five and ten million now recently we got told that anything sort of one between one and two cool you can go make something get a couple of names in it and go make a movie that way and then the next sort of level up was 10 you know people were saying don't make anything sort of less sort of anything between five six seven or four so it's very hard to say is this there's any truth to this <laughs> i don't actually because i think i i mean the movies we make are all in that five to ten range five to ten sterling and actually i think pretty for us where you need to have a certain level of talent and the film needs to be made at a sufficient quality to play wide cinema wise. Mm-hmm. Really that's for sort of, you know, that is with 5 million pounds is the sort of, for me, the kind of a floor for doing that, for doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets, you know, just, just, I mean, you know, the nearer it is to five, 
rather than 10, the better. But it is really that is that's what we found quite consistently, actually, over the last sort of seven, eight films. That's incredible. That's mm. really interesting. So many people have said this to me. No, no, don't. If you're looking in that middle range, don't bother. It'd be very hard. I'd, to say, the, and- I'd say the middle range is more 10 to 20. Right. That's the mm. tricky range because you can take a real bath if you get it wrong on that. Makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Coming back to sort of your, your career a little bit in terms of where you went, you then you then made a load of movies. Uh, and, and and for me, I'd, I'd really like to talk about when I started to hear about you. Killing Bono with Grabbers and Robot Overlords, for me, was when I was like, who's who's this Piers guy? What's he going on? Because that time I was just it, trying to make movies or hearing about it. And uh, Killing Bono was in cinemas, did really well. Grabbers was like, what is this wonderful Irish sort of freaky, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah, it was- it was a great, great movie. Yeah. It, great went movie. To, it went yeah. to Sundance, didn't it? It was such a great yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> and then Robert Overlords, my mate Mark Stay, was one of the writers. Okay, well, Mark, oh, actually, Mark is this film I'm about to do in four weeks. Mark wrote with John. <laughs> he mentioned about this to me yeah, the other yeah, day. He yeah, said, yeah, Well, yeah, hopefully, yeah. we've got a film going. Okay, it's that one. Oh, great, yeah. great. It's going. It is going. <laughs> Good, yeah. Well, then he's over the moon. I mean, look, let, yeah. for me, let's talk about that stage of your career. By that point, had you, had you felt like, Okay, I'm an established producer now, things are moving along, or were you still trying to find your way? Because I feel like now you're very established. You're like, Yeah, okay, I've made quite a few hits. At that point, were you still sort of testing the waters and seeing what worked? I mean, those films were all really, um, they all had very specific, very steep learning curves on them, those films. Yeah, for different reasons, please. Yeah. So Killing Bono was, um, if, no, if you haven't seen it, um, is about, it's a true story of a the rock critic called Neil McCormick and his brother. Um, he's a rock critic. I think he still is for Daily Telegraph. And him and his brother went to school with U2. And his brother, Ivan, was in U2 when they were first um, cool. at school, yeah. basically. Mm. Sorry, no, he wasn't. No, sorry, I tell a lie. Oh. He played with them. And then <laughs> Bono said to, said to Neil can you ask your brother uh, if he wants to be in U2? And Neil didn't pass on the message because he wanted oh Ivan to be in his own band. So that mm. is a sort of setup for the movie. I mean, every, so basically it tracked the movies, the parallel career between yeah. mm. Neil and Ivan's band and, and, and U2. So it's kind of like every decision they made was like wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's about kind of that brush with fame. Uh, yeah. And it's so that, that sort of, and it is vaguely true. I mean, it's not quite true, true but, but it's based on the biography. I was Bono's doppelganger, yeah. uh, which we, um, which we renamed Killing Bono. Is, but that was, that was basically, but that was interesting. We had to really, we had to record all the songs beforehand, all the, Shook Up was the name of the band, mm-hmm. Neil and Ivan's band. So we had to like do all the recording, we had to negotiate all the music rights and the, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's really, that was really interesting because it is music is still a bit of a dark art as far as uh, licensing and rights and publishing mm. is concerned. And using so real people as well, because you've, you've, you've got Bono in there, you've got the edge, you know, these are mm. real people who you're putting on screen with another actor, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So it's, how do, how do you work that? That is very, I've, I've, not many things I can claim to be an expert on, but I'm quite good at 
what you need permission wise and what you don't need permission wise, right. especially with John DeLorean movie and mm. in Paisley and Martin McGuinness and, and yeah, killing Bono. So yeah, it's, it's, there is, uh, that is a, you're surprised about what you actually don't need in order to make, uh, make a movie. But we had, because my producing partner on that film was in flutes. He used to be U2's agent for 25 years. Fact, that so he was a big rock and roll agent. So he had that, he had that, um, sort of, you know, a direct in. So we got, I mean, every, again, it's one of those things where going in, everyone was saying, you're never going to get a U2 track. And then we got, um, you know, we got one of my biggest yeah. hits for the end of the movie, basically. Yeah. So it's a, Which is incredible. And you mentioned that it yeah. stars Ben Barnes, it stars uh, Robert Sheehan as well, right? You mentioned there's some things that you you learned or things that weren't necessarily the way you wanted them to go. Yeah, it's the first real brush with the power of the US agents, basically. Okay. And which was really interesting because we got a call from an agent, US agent, the day before we're about to close the finance on the film saying, by the way, Ben's pulling out. So I was going, oh, really? Okay, why is that? And they said, oh, well, you know, we have to sell American rights on the movie, mm. um, which they weren't, which they currently weren't. Right. And I knew they were lying, but I knew Ben didn't know anything about it. And I knew sure. basically, so I called their bluff. I said, okay, well, look, I'll just... Um, I'll call you back. So I called Nick Hammer, director, and he was brilliantly abrasive. So he was right. I'm fucking Tom. To, you know, fuck off. I'm, I'm recasting now. So I then called so call them back and said, "I'm really sorry. It's not going to work, guys. You know, I've already done a deal. I'll get Nick to call Ben. Put the phone down." Brilliant. With five seconds later, had like the entire business affairs going. Oh, it's been a misunderstanding. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, so that was quite. That That's was quite amazing. So thought, you know, yeah, that was quite an interesting little little lesson for. Um, the powers and that money yeah. play that whole that whole playing yeah. that game of yeah yeah using leverage, leverage yeah. And, yeah. So that's quite that was quite interesting and then also um it was it was really a yeah it's just a really it's a really interesting process i mean paramount were you know sort of releasing it so it's really interesting to to, to um you know just to interact with them and how how that'll happen so it's, yeah it's a fantastic um it was a really interesting experience. And, and Nick, it's the first film I did with Nick Ham, mm. who's quite a uh, character, to put it very mildly. <laughs> um, so that was quite interesting just in terms of, of the whole creative process. And it was good. Yeah, no, it's good. No, it's a very, it was good. I mean, it, it, you know, it was, and then closing, you know, just closing finance was, it was just, yeah, it's what had all the usual difficulties as well as, music and pre-recording being thrown into it yeah and would you started filming before you closed all the finance and have you ever done that i really try and make a mission of doing that because it is always a major problem cash flow when you've always got to start before you are closed mm. and you really don't want to be getting bridge finance into a film which is so expensive and also if you're still trying to close the movie four or five weeks into photography you are you know you're not focusing on the what the real you know on making the film you do all you're doing is dealing with lawyers and paperwork all day totally yeah so, so it's, but it is a made that is a cash flow is um is always the kind of the main the main issue you can get into real trouble because as soon as that first pound comes in if you like the first investors in you kind of use that to go cool that's development that's pre-production let's start but then you go oh right well we now need to otherwise we're just spending someone's money and we don't we think the film's happening, but it could all fall down. And then you've 
owe this person money. I think that is that is one good thing that comes from experience of a lot of films. You can make that judgment whether the film is going to close. And that's actually why I don't like really working with new financiers because mm. I, I have been in some very weird positions where literally people have said, we are investing in the film, instructed lawyers, and then it's, oh, we don't actually have any money. <laughs> so, so you're right. And that, we had, I mean, on Robot Overlords, we had that. And we literally, they, um, been, one of the investors fell out and like lit for like a million pounds. Wow. And we these are the kind of investors that you see have these kind of can boat parties and we're one of the smaller finances in the uk but like you'd be amazed at how, how many times these supposed big massive finances they come to us asking for money and i'm like really we're tiny in comparison to you mm. so you're right that that does go on a lot and you don't yeah exactly and that is the worst thing producer mm. i always try to avoid it's like see, someone says we've got money and actually realize yeah. we're brokering it going to yeah. kind of go to yeah. companies that you know anyway and it's just you know, <laughs> shopping yeah. your project i suppose it makes sense to move on to churchill and the wife which i suppose if you think about it are more awards friendly dramas if you like so you kind of went from these sort of fun punk-esque indie film sort of world uh sci-fi mix into the sort of horror genre into these sort of award baiting type movies was that a conscious decision or was that just how it fell in your lap it was it was actually through um embankment films through a sales company and they sold mm. robot overlords and basically they were they had churchill on the slate which had been developed by nick and paul at mm. salon pictures mm. Yeah. And they said, basically, they said, you know, they said, look, I think it could, you know, could, could Salon looking for a producing partner on the movie to come in and help finance and, and you know, get it through the gate. And I, did, I, read, no, I read the script and just really thought, what an interesting bit of history kind of thing mm. in terms of the last three days before D-Day. And I never knew the subtleties of what was going on at the time. And so, yeah, so, that was, so it's really, that was just i just thought and i think i think brian cox was attached at the time actually when i when came on and then we found an equation where to actually move the film to scotland and shoot in edinburgh and glasgow was the best way to make the film and, and deliver it and um, i still quite can't quite believe how we did it on the budget number we did it for for a couple of scenes in it where you think shit i could have done with another bit more money there just to get a few more soldiers in the shot but it was a great but it's such it's a real performance piece i just really enjoyed watching an actor at the top of their game to mm. deliver that and that's the same with glenn and jonathan on wife kind of thing yeah. it's just, that is such a good vehicle it's for, such for, a great movie what a movie <laughs> what an incredible yeah. film i still been traumatized by that actually i remember i was sitting at the oscars where you glenn, do. Literally, we never thought would she even did even we'd never thought she would win an oscar and then she won the golden globe she won the sad critics choice and the week before the Oscars, every single pundit was saying 100% she will win the Oscar, basically. So I started getting really excited. I remember sitting at, sitting at like my cheap seat in the Oscars next to kind of someone's mother. <laughs> or kind of, you know, and, um, She's a person cut, too. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, just, and then just waiting right until the end. And then it's best actress. 
and with so much expectation mm-hmm. and then it just Didn't. Olivia Coleman and I just I just kind of was it's just like still in slow motion yes um, but anyway oh, it's funny because anyway. my friend Alex Wilton Regan is in that movie as well oh yeah love yeah her. Alex yeah, is yeah, great yeah. she's yeah, so yeah, cool I've made yeah, movies yeah. with her in in the past and yeah. she's just so cool and it was just so nice to see her promoting it and then suddenly it sort of built up it really built up yeah it really built yeah. up yeah really do, do names like you know brian cox uh, glenn close and jonathan it, does that really help with the financing from the off then is that kind of like well we've got them is that, i mean it's not dicaprio do you see what i mean but does it kind of go well at this level it's not an issue because we can sell this um, many numbers yeah I, uh, it's a really it's that again it's a very good question um I think as a part of a package, you know, we had Christian Slater and Glenn Close and Jonathan, and that just about worked for the budget we went in at. You know, it's not a... It's not a slam dunk. I mean, there are actually very few actors where it is a slam dunk. I agree, yeah. So Mm. a combination of an award-winning director, how we financed it in terms of the risk, Mm -hmm. um, plus... So it sort of... it It got to that. But again, you know, it... It would have, if the film had been, you know, a million pounds more, it wouldn't have worked numbers-wise. Got you. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's not, it's, but for that, there is definitely that market for old, the older demographic cinema-goer is definitely one that still works, which is why Female Skewed, which is, you know, which is, uh, you know, why films like Cinema Military Wives mm-hmm. and The Wife performed well. You know what I mean? So I think that's one area of cinema which is a smart, smart way to, to, to target. And is, did things change for you at that point? As in, it was not necessarily easier because you're already on the upward trajectory, but suddenly now you've got films that are banging on the Oscars door and literally you're there at the Oscars. Did that slightly change things for you for your next movies with Ordinary Love with Liam Neeson and then obviously into Military Wives and Love Wedding Repeat? It is definitely good chat. Um, I, I think that's the really depressing thing, actually, is about each movie you do, you really are starting again on the next one. Right. But it's definitely you have more credibility with the agents, mm. you know, in terms, of, in terms of taking calls, which, you know, will probably get you one call kind of thing. Yes. So you've got to use it well. I see. Yeah. So it's part of a story we tell as a company, and and the and, and the way the way you know, yeah, it, a, a million percent it helps. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help enough to get someone to do a film they don't want to do. Exactly, that says it all. I've still, doesn't it? I've still got to really, really want to do it. Yeah. But it's a fantastic experience personally to go and sit at the yeah. Oscars and kind of uh, just be just be part of that part of it for, for uh, must have been finally then about you develop your own projects and especially with military wives that would love wedding repeat what do you do then do you find the people come to you with ideas do you then develop them from them do you have loads of ideas you're developing and seeing which one goes and uh, do you find writers how does it work for you in in that space um it's largely i mean on love wedding repeat it was largely i mean that started because alex walton at endeavor content uh came and said he's got an italian distributor called notorious who've optioned the remake rights on a movie um called plan de tabla and that was when he sort of sent that over i watched the movie and thought yeah looks great let's do it so then we so then we developed the film together, Notorious and, and Tempo. Mm. And so that was that and then there's 
So it really, really depends. And there's some, it's like Nick Ham is quite active in sourcing out material. Actually, no, Driven, the John DeLorean film, that Colin Bateman, the writer of The Journey, pitched that on the set of The Journey. Uh, and that's how that started, that particular story. Yeah. Um, so it all, all sort of depends, really. There's some, there's, there's a, it's really, sometimes it's an article or sometimes it's a book. But we do, or it's a director who's got an idea. And I, I really like that, actually, if it's a director who's got a really, really strong idea that I'm sort of passionate about. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of, we really, um, we can't do, I think, I don't think any independent producer can really do meaningful, speculative development. I think they've got to, you've got to be really in love with the idea. Yes. To, to get it, to make it, to make it work. And to, you know, we've lot, you know, we've, we've, we're a couple of sort of, you know, bigger projects, which we earlier on made a play for and haven't come off. And, you know, we can't do that again, basically. So the, so I think the kind of the sort of, you know, the lesson I learned from that is don't bite off more than you can chew and just keep in that, you know, that area, which, which, you know, you can finance and, and produce the movies for, which will make money. Yeah. Which, which makes total sense. You've found that little niche, your market, and yeah, you keep working on that. I like that people can pitch to you. I think that's how a lot of projects get found these days is you'll just be chatting to someone else on set or just in the pub and they'll say, I've got this idea. And you go, yeah, yeah, that's great. Especially if it's a filmmaker, a director, producer or screenwriter, you go, yeah, that's cool. Develop that. Um, and with you do, you, do you like to do you then go, right, we really like that idea. Let me see if I can find some seed money so you can sit and write it. Or is it sometimes go off and do it on spec and come back to us. It just depends. Like on John and Mark wrote the script that we're going to start filming in four weeks on spec and then we optioned it. Got you. Uh, and that's really because, you know, this sort of third film with John. So that worked really well, mm. basically. So we had that, had that prior relationship. They've got a great idea, which I only ha I love the first half of a script and don't like the second half of a script at all. Just generally. <laughs> so yeah, it's a long, it's a long, yeah, it's a long process, but I just think they've got a killer pitch or something, Brilliant. which uh, I'm trying to get him to change his mind, but he's, he's convinced the second half is... Uh, is up to snuff. And I love those like side stories that kind of, you know, there's some big historical event mm. and then there's a really good way to access it via you know via a kind of you know a, 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 someone you've never heard yeah, of backstory within that world yeah like yeah. the maid of uh right. not hitler but do you know what I mean someone like that you are yeah, no, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. i like that great this has been amazing Piers. thank you so much for spending time yeah, with the thank you. podcast honestly this has been amazing that's great pleasure thanks for having oh, me pleasure and then i suppose if the, i mean you've given so much advice but if there's another bit of advice for f uh, filmmakers for producers starting out or producers doing well anything else you, along your journey you've learnt mistakes you've made things like that that you just go oh Oh, yeah don't do that or you know um do do that i think perseverance is quite a good quality basically yeah. and also sense of humor i think is incredibly yeah, so important. true well, if you're working of... with people for five ten years on projects and you often are yeah. you have to get on with them and if you don't yeah, you're like, oh my god i've got to call them up and talk about a budget or talk about a, a selling it in i don't know austria or whatever he's like oh, i don't want to do yeah. this but you want to get on the phone yeah. to these people but i think it's a great time i mean you know i think it's a great time to produce especially with what's happening in the streaming world and it's a good time to be getting stories out there and 
I think international audiences as well are consuming more and more open to consuming different stories from different places. So I think it's a good bet going forward. Yes. Great. I love it. It's been amazing. Um, where can people find you on the social so they can say hello and thank you so much? We've got one social media account, which is uh, Tempo underscore Productions. Cool. I urge people to follow me. It's currently my daughter's got more followers than I do on the Tempo. <laughs> right, come on, Filmmakers Podcast. Currently, Get on it. Yeah, Get on really now. upsetting me, basically, on a regular basis. <laughs> and then our website is tempoproductions.net, yeah. which sort of, you know, but um, I think we must do more on the communications level as that has got fallen beside the But you do do, you do, do a good blog on there and that goes into detail. You've got a great behind the scenes on Driven on there, you know. Um, oh, I have actually, that's true. That is so true. Yeah, it, there true. is some good stuff to go there for, but like you say, if, if you've not got a film art or whatever, why would people generally go to our production sites? Yeah, exactly. There's not much on there, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's a trailer <laughs> which you can get on YouTube, so, but still, yeah, yeah, yeah I get yeah, that. Yeah. That's great. I tweeted you uh, to come for you to come on so I appreciate that you responded so basically everyone Piers might respond to you um, <laughs> Sharpie where can people follow you uh, just the usuals mate yeah so Ian Sharp uh, one on Instagram and I think I'm just Ian Sharp on Twitter but I'm pretty active uh, on both he very much is and I'm at Giles Alderson or you can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter or if you really want to get interested in us and what we're doing and maybe come on the show if you've got a film out or know someone who does then email us at the filmmakers podcast at gmail.com got some shout outs to do this week some people who've been amazing this week always uh, mark coleman chris hughes will kenning and anastasia chill and also i have to give a, a really good shout out to ian campbell now ian campbell was one of the original choreographers on arthur and merlin um and drew took over because ian was doing some other work at the time but he's got his new brand new action course which is called go fight yourself um and i suppose it's just one of those courses right now if you want if you're an actor and you're a filmmaker and you want to learn more about the craft of putting action into film then this course is highly recommended by me it is brilliant um he wanted to share some knowledge and practices that everyone with an interest in action filmmaking could benefit from it's fun uh, and fundamental so you'll learn loads on this course all about strikes reaction shots framing um filmmaking camera movements designing fight choreography all that kind of stuff all the way through to editing and post-production it's only 32 quid as well and if you say you know me hey you might get a discount i don't know ian no okay uh, <laughs> and that includes free links to editing and post-production software called hit film express uh, and it, best of all they're giving you um 500 pounds worth of the best scenes and short films made using skills learned over the course the link for that is in the show notes um and but it's just search go fight yourself uh, com the action course so that's ian campbell shout out to you congratulations for doing this mate it's brilliant and you're the one to first flights now have you heard of first flights sharpie no no i've not heard of them they award filmmakers who haven't made a movie before mm -hmm. um some money so they can go make their movie and they actually give them enough to go make it as well so it's basically launched a new short film fund so it's available to directors and producers the fund offers a new way for filmmakers to access a non-recoupable grant of up to seven grand uh, nice. for you to go make your short film that's quite a lot to go make a short mm -hmm. film you can yeah, do it. Go yeah. Firstflight.com forward slash short dash film dash fund. Links to that in the show notes. Don't say we don't give you anything. 
we give you everything so yeah if you do like this podcast tell your mates it really does make a difference to us uh, when we're sat here in our rooms doing this for you so yeah do tell your mates and if you haven't left a review yet a five star review go there now if you're on your iTunes you're scrolling through just literally click through and write this is ace listen doesn't take a second so thank you for those who have and if you haven't get on it we have got some amazing guests coming up for you on the filmmakers podcast very shortly we have sarah gavron the director of rocks and suffragettes we have screenwriter and director john badham the legendary john badham who directed saturday night fever and war games and we have Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. And that's just some of the episodes we have coming up for you. And don't forget, our website is filled with the other 177 podcasts that you can find. Just go there and search for director, producer, screenwriter, whatever it is that you are into and that you want to be. And the list will come up and you can listen to all of those in a row. And also on the website is our merchandise. We have water bottles, we have face masks, we have cool as t-shirts and hoodies and all that jazz. So do go have a look, thefilmmakerspodcast.com. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen. Remember who your audience is and do it. And if you're lucky to rise up and do well, like Piers has done, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Piers Tempest, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Giles. Pleasure. Thank you, Ian. Cheers, Ian. Thank you. Take care, everyone. We will see you next Tuesday. Bye. <laughs>